0: You're listening to the Gospel of Mark, a series preached by Pastor Dan Christians at Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Mark chapter 4. We'll be in verse 26 in just a few moments. Because of how the Sunday evening calendar fell, I've had a few weeks to mull these verses over. And when I first looked at these verses, even even a while back, when I was thinking about them coming in the future, my response was, I can't wait to get to verse 35. (laughs) That's a problem because we're in verse 26 to 34 tonight. However, as I've thought more and more about them, as I've been kind of forced to spend a few weeks just in them, something strange began to happen. I began to understand them better. I don't think they're complicated, and I don't think I'm... Smart, because I understand them. I think I'm probably pretty dense, and maybe you'll get them on the first reading. However, when I looked at these parables that we're going to look at tonight, I found that it was very easy to read them and then to read on, if you know what I mean. To read them and have kind of an idea, a, a, a slight little bit of what they meant, but really not a handle on them. Really, like I couldn't take the parables and explain them to someone else. And so my hope tonight is that the Holy Spirit will show you what he has shown me through studying these verses as we look at them together. We will draw our attention to the peculiarity between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world. They don't function the same way. They don't play by the same rules and they grow very differently. And we have to understand that the kingdom of this world is the only kingdom we've really really experienced before Christ has come into us. And, and even now, it's the kingdom we live in all the time. And so for us to, to fathom a kingdom that, that plays by different rules, that grows in a different way, it's not easy. It takes intentionality to do this. And so I think some two things happen sometimes when we talk about the kingdom of God. One of the things that happened when we talked to the kingdom of God, honestly is that we tend to phase out. Like, we, we have this ambiguous idea of what the kingdom is. We know it's good. We think it's maybe in the future, but we know somehow it's in us also. And we know he's the king, but we don't tend to think a lot about what it is and what it means and how important it is. And I don't know, when you read the Gospels, they talk a lot about the kingdom of God. A lot about the kingdom of heaven. This idea of a coming king and the kingdom is a big deal to Jesus and to the gospel writers. And so as we study this together, I hope it becomes more of a big deal to us. The other thing we could do, rather than phasing out or uh, zoning out, is we can lean in. Because we understand that we want to know about the kingdom that Jesus is teaching us about. And so which one of those two things sounds better to you? Leaning in or zoning out? Leaning in. Thank you. Good job. You haven't zoned out yet. (laughs) And so let's lean in tonight as we talk about God's kingdom. Just, Just for a real quick definition, God's kingdom at its simplest form is the kingdom where the king rules. It is the place where the king reigns, where God is acknowledged, where his subjects are saved, where his enemies are vanquished, where his ways are obeyed, and where we see the coming of the kingdom. Now that that is the kingdom of God. And we see the kingdom of God anywhere where Christ reigns. And so that's why we have the kingdom of God spoken about as in our hearts. How could God's kingdom so vast and enormous be in our hearts? I don't know. Is is your heart a place where the king reigns? Is this church a place where the king reigns? Is Is the church as a whole a place where the king is supposed to reign? Because in those ways, the kingdom of God is here. And we fully recognize that the fullest sense of the kingdom of God is coming. Where Christ reigns above all and over all. And so we look forward to that day. But we hopefully will learn from what he has to say about his kingdom here tonight as well. The book of Mark is a book full of action. And it's generally very light on teaching. Yet Mark 4 Stands in stark contrast to this rule. Jesus has spent a great deal of time here teaching the people and his disciples, and he wants them to know what the kingdom is truly like. I think it is noteworthy that this is the teaching of Jesus that the first gospel writer felt compelled to include at such length. I mean, the other gospels, we know Jesus taught a lot of, about a lot of things, but Mark he misses most of that, really. I mean, most of Jesus' teaching, he washes over. But this, he stops and he gives multiple parables about. And so before we jump into verse 26, I want to remind you what Jesus said in verse 24. He said, And he said to them, Take heed what you hear. Pay attention to what you hear. I find myself saying to the teenagers often, That this is not going to help you at all if you don't pay attention on purpose. If you don't listen like you want to hear something, if if you don't have any desire for God to teach you, then it's really of no value to you, of no use. But I think that admonition is as important to them as it is to us. I know myself it's very easy to come to the Word of God and not pay close attention to go through the motions, to be at church, to listen to the sermon, even to agree with some things that are said, but really not lean into what's said there. And so he says, take heed what you hear. Why? Because with what measure you meet, it shall be measured to you, and unto you that hear, more shall be given. What he's saying there is, if you listen and apply the word of God, then he will guide you into a greater knowledge of the truth. You will learn more, and more of the the Bible will be illuminated by the Spirit to you. But if you listen and you don't, you don't really hear, you don't really apply, it doesn't change you, then you're, you're going to be left wondering why the, the Bible is so confusing all the time. Why is there not more truth that you understand? If we don't obey the light that we're given, we should not expect more light. And so we should take heed to what we hear. Now Mark records two parables. The first one is the process through which the kingdom grows. The second one is the product or the end result. So let's look at Mark chapter chapter 4 verses 26 to 29 first. And he said, So is the kingdom of God, as if a man should cast seed onto the ground and should sleep and rise night and day, and the seed should spring and grow up, He knows not how. For the earth brings forth fruit of herself first the blade, then the ear, after that, the full corn in the ear. But when the fruit is brought forth, immediately he puts the sickle because the harvest is come. At the surface, Jesus has provided for us the basics of horticulture. Horticulture 101. How does it work? How do things grow? Well, first the farmer puts the seed on the ground and then he goes to bed and then he wakes up and he goes to bed and then he wakes up and he goes to bed and, and the farmer is kind of like not doing a whole lot. Now I understand nowadays you'd be fertilizing all that kind of stuff but, but basically how the whole thing works is the seed goes in the ground and eventually a shoot comes forth and eventually it grows up a little bit and eventually this whole plant begins to form and at the end you have this wonderful fruit that's produced. That's kind of how it works. All that the farmer does is put it in the ground, and when it's ready, take it out, right? Harvest the crop. Obviously, Jesus intends to do more than just teach us how things grow. I think it's noteworthy here, though, how little the farmer does. It seems like Mark is is leaning into that. He sows the seed. He has no clue what's happening and no ability to affect it. You know what I think is also very interesting? That with all of the technology that we have today, all of the brilliant scientists alive, not one of them can make a seed that will grow. Not one. You think about the things that we can create. You think about like a a computer that has artificial intelligence, that can learn to do things, and, and we can make these things, but this simple little seed can't be recreated. That's amazing to me. And here, the seed somehow comes to life. Farmer puts in the ground, it comes to life. Farmer doesn't know what's going on. The words here, of herself, that the the seed brings forth of herself, in Greek is automatos, which is where we get our word automatically. It happens miraculously, supernaturally. It's just what the seed does. It highlights the lack of involvement on the part of the farmer. And so, bit by bit, the seemingly dead seed transforms into a ripe wheat stalk. When the time is right, all the farmer must do is harvest the crop. And in this parable, Jesus teaches us how the kingdom will grow it will begin small and seemingly dead. One man would gather 12 kind of loyal followers. One of them wasn't at all loyal, actually, he was terrible. Uh, the other 11 were suspect, but, they, but these followers weren't impressive, right? They were decidedly average. And somehow from this weird group of guys in this seemingly dead movement would grow forth a church that would span the world. And, and through all of this, a kingdom that would come and, and rule over all. What, what an amazing thought. From something so small came something so great. Jesus in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18 says, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. It's highlighting that it's Christ who builds. It's supernatural. It happens automatically, not because the farmers are so great, but because the one who builds it is God. I think this parable also, and the principle we find here, also helps us to understand what's happening in the life of every believer. The seed, the gospel of Jesus Christ, is planted. The evangelist that plants the seed, I mean, I know a lot of times we think that we have to go about trying to figure out exactly how to tend to the seed so perfectly. But ultimately, the seed is planted and it grows when it's ready to grow. That it's something supernatural that happens. That you can't force salvation on anybody. Right? You plant the seed. I don't know about you, but this is encouraging to me. We cannot force growth. Somehow, miraculously and automatically, the seed takes root, shoots up, and in time bears fruit of its own. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6 says, Being confident of this very thing, that he which has begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. God will work and the seed will grow. Philippians 2:13 for it is God that works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. The point Jesus is making is clear that the growth of God's kingdom is not dependent primarily on the wisdom of the farmer but on the nature of the seed and the unseen working of the Holy Spirit. Because as the seed sits there we understand that God sends the rain, that God shines the sunlight and that the seed needs those things to be able to grow. And so it is God that's doing the work. This next parable that we'll look at helps us understand the certainty of the kingdom's success. Now, I found it very helpful in my mind to separate these two parables. The reason being, I think in the first parable we have the seed being the gospel, Christ coming, the word of God. And in the second parable, the seed is very clearly the kingdom of God itself. And so we will see the product now in verse 30. And he said, whereinto shall we liken the kingdom of God? Or, or with what shall we compare it? It is like a grain of a mustard seed, which when it is sown in the earth is less than all the seeds that be in the earth. But when it is sown, it grows up and becomes greater than all herbs. And shoots out great branches so that the fowls of the air may lodge under the shadow of it. Now here we have a very specific seed. The mustard seed. One mustard seed that is so small. Between one and two millimeters in diameter. I mean, I was looking at pictures of this seed. And it, it's difficult to take the seed and to hold it in your fingers without touching your fingers fully. That's how small this seed is. Incredible. And yet, from this very small, insignificant seed comes this incredible plant. Now, many of you might know that there's such a thing as a mustard tree. I don't think that that's what Jesus is referring to here, because he compares it to the herbs, and he calls it a plant in a garden. But there is an herb called a mustard plant, and and the mustard plant is actually an amazing thing. That it comes from one of the smallest seeds, and even the Jews, they would... They would talk about a mustard seed as the smallest seed out there. It was kind of the thing that they used to describe something small and insignificant would be a mustard seed. So Jesus is just kind of going along with how everybody would talk about a mustard seed when he gives this parable. It's tiny, it's small, it's insignificant, it's nothing. And yet it grows into an herb. Now, have you ever had an herb garden? We had this little this little like bucket that had shoots out the side and you could plant different herbs in all of the different places where it touched the ground and, and they would get like maybe maybe a foot high at the most and when you think about this herb it grows between 10 and 12 feet high like it's a, it's a green plant but the stalk of the green plant is about 4 inches around that's big that's way bigger than like planting a little herb in a little bucket and being like, "Hey, I'm just going to go, you know, put this on my counter and have fresh herbs whenever I need them." It's a huge plant. And that is obviously the point. The contrast between the tiny, insignificant beginning and the enormous consummation of the kingdom is what Jesus is showing us here. The kingdom at that time, and even sometimes now, and certainly throughout church history, has seemed very insignificant. Small. It will grow. And soon it will far overshadow all the other kingdoms of this world. And so with these parables, Jesus helps us. He helps us by showing us the process that it grows. That it's supernatural. And he helps us by telling us that this is how we should expect it to work. That it will begin as a small, insignificant thing, but it will grow into this unbelievably huge, vast kingdom. In verse number 33, Mark tells us that, with many such parables spake he the word to them, as they were able to hear it. But without a parable spake he not to them, and when they were alone, he expounded all things to his disciples. These last two verses highlight Jesus' desire for his followers to know the truth. To understand the kingdom of God when all they know is the kingdom of men. And from man's perspective, the mustard seed is tiny and insignificant. From man's perspective, we want to do something, work something out in order to make that seed grow. And he's saying, listen, I want you to understand this is how it really works. With the kingdom of God. So, this evening we have two parables and two very important truths that I think Jesus is driving home for us. The first one is this The growth of the kingdom is miraculous. The growth of the kingdom is miraculous. I can tell you for certain that as a pastor I have felt very defeated at times because of the lack of apparent growth in a person that I've been ministering to. I wonder if you felt this way before too. That you've poured yourself into someone. That you've met with them for coffee. That you've tried to go over the word with them. That you've tried to show them what Christ has done for them. That even at times you maybe saw that they seemed to be getting it. You thought, "What? what went wrong? Why is there no growth? Why did they walk away? What Lord, what happened here? And I find this parable to be very encouraging, actually. Because... The growth of the kingdom, it's not about me and my abilities. It is miraculous. So if you intend to obey God and make disciples, chances are you will feel like a farmer who plants seeds but has yet to see the increase. Can you imagine how the farmer feels at the start? Puts the seed in there. He's done everything he's supposed to do. And then he waits and he waits and he waits. And and all he sees is dirt. It's Like I did... All that work, I put all those seeds out there. What's going on? There's nothing. And then all of a sudden, there's this incredible growth. I thought of how we are such a, like, it has to be now society, that we, we have real trouble in being patient and allowing God to work. And as soon as we don't see the work immediately, we try and come up with a different plan to make it happen. I, uh, we, we're, we're in our family doing this, like trying to give up something for the 40 days that is traditionally called Lent. And the thing that I chose to give up, and the, and the idea is not to like follow the law or anything, just we're doing this because I think God has led us toward doing this, and it's a good idea for me to give something up because my flesh takes over far too often. And so the weird thing that I chose to give up is drive-thrus. You're like, drive-thrus, that's really easy. Well, not if you go through them a lot, (laughs) right? Um, And I go through Timmy's drive-thru way too often. And it's super hard. Why? Why can't I just go home and make a coffee? Like, it takes 10 minutes, maybe. I don't know. Because we want it now. And when I'm working with someone, I want them to respond to this sermon or this counseling session or this time, that I want them to come to church this time that I've invited them. I don't want to wait. And if I have to wait, then something's wrong. And if the farmer sits in his bed and gates up and sits in his bed and he sees nothing, he thinks, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go, new seed? I don't know. I got I do something different. But the growth of the kingdom is miraculous. Yes, your participation is a part of the process. The farmer exists, right? And so he's not saying, hey, just do nothing and everything will happen all by itself. He's saying, Go out, be obedient, sow the seed, and then let the Holy Spirit work. Because you can't force it. All of what we do amounts to throwing seed on the soil. We evangelize, we disciple, we serve, we love, we speak truth, we sacrifice. And in all those things, we just throw seed on the soil. The germination of that seed is well beyond our control. God provides the sunshine and the rain, the basic necessities for the growth of the seed. Ultimately, at the end of the day, we don't pat the farmer on the back because he figured out how to grow a seed all by himself. We understand that the processes that grew that seed were beyond his control. Just like we understand when we're doing the work of the kingdom of God, if we're doing it right, it's beyond our control. We are just farmers sowing seed. The growth of the kingdom is miraculous. And so if you so choose, get involved in the miraculous, right? You actually get to be a part of that process, which is pretty incredible. The Protestant Reformation began in 1517 with a man named Martin Luther. Now, obviously, there are many others involved in that whole thing, but he's kind of known as the one who spearheaded the Reformation. And Luther was a priest in the Roman Catholic Church who was fed up with the abuses that he saw within the church, And he was beginning to realize that Christianity that was taught in the Bible was a little bit different than the Christianity that he saw taught and practiced in the churches and by the priests. And so he began by trying to reform the church from within. And eventually it became clear to him that he wasn't able to do that. And so he spent years fighting and laboring and sacrificing and struggling to expose Lies and to promote the truth of the gospel by grace through faith alone. Later in his life, Luther was asked how he did it. How he made the Reformation happen. And when you think about it, it is crazy to think that somehow somebody stood up against all the powers that be. A a pope who had the king in his pocket. I mean, It was incredible what happened here with the Reformation. And so how did Luther do it? This was his response. I simply taught and preached and wrote God's word. Otherwise, I did nothing. Then while I slept, the word worked. I did nothing. The word did it all. That's pretty incredible. That the great works that we see happen throughout church history, they weren't accomplished because of some really gifted people. They were accomplished because of the Holy Spirit working through people. We should trust that God will do the work. In John chapter 16, verse 8, we find that the Holy Spirit's job is when he has he come, when the Spirit has come, he will reprove or convict, convince the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And so, if we will sow seed, the Spirit will work. If you have planted seed that is yet to amount to anything, don't despair. You've done your part. Let God do His. That's the first thing, that the growth of the kingdom is miraculous. The second thing is that the growth of God's kingdom is certain. It is certain. The mustard seed begins small, in fact, smaller than most other seeds. But it will grow. And when it grows, it grows very, very large. As I thought about this parable, I thought about what an encouragement it could have been to the churches through the first three centuries. They had every ability to look around them and from what they saw, think, God, what are you doing? This is so small. This is so tiny. For the first 280 years of the church, Christianity was illegal. The believers were suffering persecution, all sorts of persecutions. They were considered atheists by others. Some thought that they were cannibals. There were so many accusations leveled at the Christians. They were demonized in their society. When there was a problem in the city, it was the Christians' fault. And so they were persecuted. At the very least, they were the outcasts of society. They were often kicked out of their family, lost their jobs, or businesses. They suffered broken relationships with the people that they loved. Some were dragged into the Colosseum and fed to wild animals in front of other wild animals. Some were set on fire to be candles in the garden. They suffered greatly. I'm sure at any point they could have looked around and thought, the church is poor, insignificant, and weak. How will it ever bring about the kingdom of God? How will it ever overcome the insurmountable obstacles that it faces? And I think that when they're told that this seed that seems so insignificant will grow into this massive plant that they'd be encouraged. And I think that not only them, I think that maybe there's Christians around the world today that would be encouraged as well. Christians in the Middle East, in Afghanistan, Pakistan, Sudan, Iraq. They might be encouraged to know. That God's kingdom will grow. How about the ones in North Korea or North Africa? Do you know that, that in those places, Christianity is illegal. Those places suffer some of the same things. Different people, different faces, different methods. But this is the same kind of persecution that was faced by the early believers. What an encouragement it must be to them till the mustard seed will grow, that the small insignificant kingdom that they see around them will someday be the kingdom over all other kingdoms. But I am most interested in how you feel today. And I wonder if even as believers in North America, we look around and we say, what's God doing? It feels insignificant. feels small, right? I mean, what is the church against this, the wave of liberal culture? And I mean, we see more and more that Christians are demonized, that things that are evil are being called good. And, and so, What's going on here? We seem weak or insignificant maybe. Hey, I wonder if you look at your own life sometimes and you question the power of the gospel. I wonder if you look at your own life and go, if it's really true, why am I not better? Why am I still struggling with this same sin? Why have I not overcome? Why don't I see family members overcoming? Why do I see so many problems with people who apparently believe in all of this? Well, don't be disheartened because the kingdom seems insignificant and small and weak to begin with. But that's the nature of this kingdom, the kingdom of God. And it will grow and it will continue to grow. And here's one of the great things that we notice if we really study the New Testament with regard to the kingdom that the kingdom never is victorious because of our strength, then in fact, we are not commanded to bring the kingdom in. We're not commanded to somehow find a way to make the world godly enough for Jesus to come back. That actually, when it comes to the kingdom, we are invited into the kingdom to be a part of the kingdom, but we're not building the kingdom ourselves. It's not our job to somehow go out and expand the kingdom. We're just invited to, ent- to enter into it ourselves and then to invite others to enter it as well. But in all of the kingdom work, it is God that does the building and God that does the, the expanding. It is Christ who will build his church. And so that means that though we might not feel significant, though we might feel weak, though we might look around and wonder, we have an omnipotent, omniscient, sovereign king Who is in control. And that the mustard seed to the mustard plant that's so huge is not because of us. It's because of him. And so the kingdom growth is absolutely certain. And so when we think of the kingdom that way, I hope you're encouraged. I hope it encourages you that God is working while we sleep. That the growth of the kingdom requires supernatural intervention, but that God has promised that intervention. That he is with us, and he is working. And that even though so many times it it seems like nothing is happening, we can look around the church, we can look in our lives and see small victories. And see people who are coming to Christ and, and are trying to do the right thing. We see the Spirit of God working in amazing ways, even though we also see trouble and trials and And weakness. It's working. And so, we should be encouraged. And I don't want us just to be encouraged for the sake of encouragement. I want us then to be encouraged that we go out and sow more seed. In this whole parable, we get to be this this farmer. Who goes out, throws seed in the ground. Eventually there's a harvest. And that's wonderful. But how terrible would it be if you are a child of the king, and someone else has sowed seed in your life, and and God has grown that, and then you just abstain from the work that you're called to, to be a farmer that goes out and sows seed. And so how do you do that? I don't know. Where are you going tomorrow? Who are you going to see tomorrow? How about this week? Who do you rub shoulders with? We need to be more purposeful in finding these opportunities to sow seed. And, and, and it's intimidating when we think the preacher is saying, you need to find ways to get people saved. But that's not what I'm saying. That's not, like, don't, don't force it. Don't manipulate. Don't do whatever thing. You don't need your tactics. But you got the word of God. You got your testimony. You got Christ. You got this God who loves us so much. And so, Go out, find someone to sow some seed to this week. I feel a little bit like a broken record because if when I look back at my last few sermons, this was one of my main points in the last few of them. I just keep coming up though. I kind of feel like that's, that's our job and maybe having it said more often is a good thing. And so, let's be encouraged. Let's feel good that we know that we are a child of the king who will one day come again and bring the kingdom so it rules over the whole earth. But while we're here and we get the job as farmers, let's be encouraged to go out and sow more seed. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this evening, Lord. I thank you for these parables that encourage us, they, they teach us about the kingdom. Uh, Lord, we know that trying to fathom a kingdom that is uh, under God's authority is difficult because we were born in sin and because we've been sinners. We are sinners. And Lord, the kingdoms that we see all over the earth require a person to exert strength and power and manipulate and and to work and to build. And yet, Lord, your kingdom, we're told just to, to be obedient, to do what you've called us to do, and then to let you work. And to know and believe that some insignificant things can be incredibly powerful if the Holy Spirit will work on them. So Lord, I pray that you'd help us to be encouraged and then to go out and sow more seed. Thank you, Lord. We love you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.